to be seated as we come into God's Word together. We ushered in first into the Psalms this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'm turning to Psalm 85 as I read it for us this morning. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortune of Jacob. You forgave the inequity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. Put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness kiss righteous uh, meet righteousness and peace kiss each other faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky yes the lord will give what is good and our land will yield the increase righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away this is the word of the lord With that psalm, we're ushered into the words of the prophet Micah in chapter 7 this morning, where the woes and the warnings, and yes, the promises and the hope continue. Beginning in verse 1. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no ripe first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. And each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thornhedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation 
of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring out to me the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shall come over her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruits of its deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. And as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all that their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn into the dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you? Pardoning in equity for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our inequities underfoot. You will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn, sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we enter now into this text further, I begin by asking you this question. Who listens to you when you vent? When you unload, get it off your chest. Is it your spouse, a best friend, a sister, a brother, a friend at work? Maybe it's your social media page. Which of those is the most satisfactory? Who's got the character to spend the time to listen to you? Who's got the character and the capacity to do something about it? I confess as a friend and husband, I'm not always one with that upright character and capacity. I'm sometimes weary and don't listen as well as I should. Certainly our social media pages don't provide the satisfaction that we desire when we try to unload. Right? Does the person you vent to, complain to, yes indeed, lament to, have the character or capacity to do something about it? I heard a lament in a history lesson this week as I listened to my wife read a testimony about Lincoln to our kids. And as she read from the American Experience storybook and told of Lincoln's 
character and capacity to do something about it, I was uh, struck by the fact that in all these political days that we've never quite had a president before or since like Lincoln. And as the uh, telegraph came in and Lincoln read it to a father before him who, from a general who said, hey, this soldier has committed an unpardonable offense. Please, Mr. President, don't get involved. I think it's interesting that he would message the president like that. And that's what he read to the father as the father pleaded to the president to, to save his son from his son's offense. Both the general and the father knew that the President Lincoln was one to do something about it. Maybe it's because, as the story uh, is told in the history annals, that his mother often told him to take care of the soldiers, and so soldiers held a special place in his heart. And so as he explained to the father, no, I'm sorry, I've got this telegraph from the general, I can't do anything about it. The father continued his lament and poured his heart out. Well, that did it. <laughs> and the heart of Lincoln was touched and he saved the life of that young soldier. Well, just as that general knew and that father knew of Lincoln's heart, that's why the general didn't want Lincoln to get involved. He knew what he was going to do. And we hear another prophet, the prophet Jonah, another minor prophet who, who knew God's character and capacity. That's why he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. He was running away from God so he wouldn't have to preach and so he ended up in the big fish, right? Because he knew what God would do. And in the first seven verses of Micah, we hear a lament. These first seven verses of chapter seven, Micah laments before God because he knows this God has the character and the capacity to do something about this brokenness that we face. What scholar Bruce Walkie observes in Micah chapter 7 is for us a liturgical hymn. A hymn of four stanzas. In response to the covenantal court that happened in chapter 6, and we talked more about that last week, but uh, it's suffice to say for today that they were and we were guilty, convicted, because we were doing just exactly the opposite of God's justice, just exactly the opposite of God's unconditional loving kindness, just exactly the opposite of walking humbly with our God. And so in response to that, we get this hymn. Four stanzas that begin in verse 8 and go all the way to verse 20. The first seven verses are a recap of all that's come. I'll, I call it a prelude to the hymn that's about to be played. A prelude as, as Micah recaps our brokenness. And Martin Luther called it uh, in one small package, as it were, this chapter relays the entire prophecy. And so in this prelude of a recap in the first seven verses, it's a prelude to what 
he's about to unveil for us. In verses 8 to 10, we are, as Micah does, invited to repent. In verses 11 to 13, we hear of how God will relent. And then an invitation in verses 14 to 17 for him to resume his rescue plan that he started like in the days of rescuing his people from Egypt. And then finally, verses 18 through 20, the prophecy comes full circle and the question of who is like our God really gets answered. And we're invited to receive and recover this promise. And so as this hymn crescendos into loud praise, we'll find out what God has for us today. But let's, let's begin with the recap and the prelude. And there's much that we could be in discussion about in this seven-verse lament. I'll just highlight a couple of things briefly. One, trust no one. You can't trust your family. He's lamenting. You can't trust your friends. You can't trust our leaders. We can't trust anyone. They've all failed us. They say, well, maybe he's speaking in hyperbole, but the problem is, is that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of the sources of justice have fallen short. And as Micah points out, as Micah points out here, you'll remember that, you know, Although human innovation is amazing and to be celebrated, what we need, and he'll talk about this in verse 7, is a godly intervention. For if a human innovation were to do the trick, our news wouldn't look like it does yet still today. The annals of history would not be full of injustice and brokenness and war. We need a godly intervention. And so the, the really the key to understanding, I think, these first seven verses of lament is not just to pay attention to what he's lamenting, although that's important, but to pay attention to the one he's lamenting to. That's what's significant that our God is a God who has the capacity and the character and the capacity to listen and to do something about it. We, we get that from the Psalms because as one scholar pointed out, Stephen Um, 60 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of lament. That means you and I are invited by God, just as Micah does, to lament, to lay out those things that hold us in deep, dark exile. You can lament to God whatever it is that you are going through. But Micah, as I hope you now know uh, from studying this book together, literally his name means, who is a God like you? Who is like Yahweh? And Micah will come and find the answer to that question as we work through this chapter. And in one sense he'll say, no one. And in another sense, he'll say, only one. And that only one leads us to this first stanza of this hymn 
that he is playing and proclaiming for us. In stanza one, in verses eight through nine, and really eight through 10, Micah once again draws a picture of, as one scholar puts it, the tragic results of their sin. He refused to just let it go. Maybe by now you're thinking, can you just let it go? But aren't you glad God doesn't let it go? Aren't you glad that God refuses to just allow injustice to take place? So often we'll criticize God. Well, how, how can he be a God that would have a place like hell? Well, God refuses to allow there to be injustice, to allow that to stand. But because he has steadfast love for us, his heart is not to lead us into hell. His heart is to invite all those who would repent to come to his salvation. The remnant will repent. Sadly, Luther points out that not all of the, those in exile would repent. Just as it is still today, not all of us will turn back and repent. As you sit in the darkness of this world, the Lord says to you what Jesus said to us in the New Testament, take heart, I have overcome this world. What many have come to call in the book of Micah, the gospel according to Micah. This gospel message is for you. And many have said that this verse 9 in particular is the most important verse in the chapter because Micah confesses his sin and admits God's righteousness to bring about judgment but calls upon the Lord to bring about his vindication. When you go to a neighbor's house and knock on the door and ask for a cup of sugar, you go to a neighbor who, A, you think will answer the door, B, who has some sugar, and C, who might actually give it to you, right? Micah goes knocking on the door of the God who will listen, who has the salvation, and who has the capacity and willingness to give it. And so in this stanza of repentance where Micah repents for God's people on behalf of all of them, it reminds you and I to be the remnant that repents. To seek out that godly intervention. And that godly intervention is exactly what Micah is asking for in verses 11 through 13. Not just human intervention, but godly intervention. This relenting is the shepherd gathers the sheep in is what we hear about in verses 11 through 13. He's inviting us to be gathered in. He's asking God to once again gather us into his fold and relent just as Lincoln relented for that soldier. Why? Because this is God's heart for us. And then as we hear the crescendo of that hymn getting louder and louder, moving into verse 3, stanza 3, as Bruce Walty, the scholar, will point out about this hymn, 
this grace gets amazing. This grace is amazing. And here's why. It's not you and I that are knocking on the door. What does Jesus do in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20? Jesus says this. He turns it upside down. The Messiah comes to us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and answers me, I will come and eat with him and he with me. Jesus knocks on our door while we were yet sinners, the Bible says in chapter 5 of Romans. Christ died for us. While we were apart, enemies of God, Christ comes knocking on our door. Micah is proclaiming the Messiah who will come, and now we know he has come. And so Micah invites him to resume that rescue plan that he first foreshadowed in Egypt and now fulfills in the Messiah who says, I stand at the door and knock. Christ comes to our home and makes us come and be welcomed into his. We can trust in no one in this world. Not human innovation, godly intervention. And so in this third stanza, the Micah petitions the shepherd to once again rescue his people. And now it's getting to double forte here. The volume is getting louder as we get to this fourth stanza. For we hear this promise. Verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. I hope when you hear that phrase, steadfast love, you now know that that's that word, hesed. That word throughout the whole Old Testament, that word that we heard in Micah 6, 8, where you translate loving kindness or mercy into God's unconditional love. This is the unconditional love that he is singing to us now in this final stanza. But there's more. Move forward to verse 20. Listen to what God is doing there. When an amber alert goes off on your phone, you pay attention not just because it's annoyingly loud, right? But because you know something important is being communicated to me. And that's what is being said to us in verse 20 when the phrase, God's steadfast love, has said, and the phrase, faithfulness intersect right there in verse 20. Whenever those two words come together in the Old Testament, you know something important is happening. Something important is happening here, friends. He is announcing, like we heard in Psalm 85, that justice and mercy are about to intersect. Faithfulness, literally translated here from Hebrew, would be truth. God's truth and his unconditional love 
come together. I like how one scholar paraphrased it. He said, Micah appeals to the judge and says, in effect, I know you'll punish us, your people, because you are a God of justice, but I also know you've promised to forgive us, to remove our sins, and to delight in loving us. I don't know how you'll do this, but then you'll do it. And how he'll do that is through the Messiah who comes knocking on our door. This Messiah foretold to us with now we know fulfilled prophecy from the prophet Micah. Friends, this is the good news. We are no longer framed by our mess. We're now framed by God's beautiful masterpiece. As one commentator put it, I love this. Micah's gospel is our gospel. Micah's gospel is our gospel. God's rescue of his weak and afflicted people and faithfulness to his own covenant promises. His unconditional steadfast love and truth and faithfulness intersect. It may still seem dark in your life today. It may still seem dark in the world today. But as Micah picks up on this theme of darkness and light, we hear in John chapter 1 that same theme being picked up as the Messiah comes. And as the light comes, there shall be no darkness that can overcome it. And so the question for you and I this morning is, will we be the remnant who repents? Will we be the remnant who repent to the God who we know has the character and the capacity to relent and to resume his rescue plan and now receive this gift and recover it and live into it, not so that we can get God's grace but so that we can share it. And as we heard last week, faith gives us the reason, as a scholar writes, and the gospel gives us the strength to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and love our neighbors as ourselves. And as Luther will point out, we mete out God's justice and mercy not for God's sake, but for our neighbor. So friends, will we be the ones who live in this kind of picture, a new picture that God has painted, a new song he is singing to us in these four stanzas. This hymn, no longer do we have to stand convicted for all those remnants who repent and hear God's unrelenting, steadfast love as he resumes his rescue plan. We can now receive it and be recovered in his full justice and mercy. It's no longer about your mess or mine. It's about his masterpiece. And why? Because he delights in steadfast love. Amen.